Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Welcome to the Peter King Podcast. So happy you could join me this week after a scintillating week of games around the National Football League. We're going to break down those games and some of the teams that we love and some of the teams we don't after two weeks. I'm going to break those down with Paul Burmeister, my friend from NBC Sports. And then later on in the podcast, I'll be joined by Paul Allen, the Minnesota Vikings play-by-play man, who is... I would say it's fair to say still a bit apoplectic after Greg Joseph's 37 yard field goal went 18 inches wide to the right and cost the Minnesota Vikings their 968th football game uh, from a kicker seemingly in like the last three or four years. (laughs) But anyway, we will find uh, what the angst level is in the land of 10,000 lakes uh, in a few minutes. But now, hey, Paul, thanks so much for joining me this week. How are you? Good, Peter. Uh, after listening to that intro, I'm wondering, who do you picture as being your MVP, your, your most valuable Paul here this hour? <laughs> That's a good one. Paul, you are always my most valuable Paul. Come on. Let's not Thank even you. joke about that. Especially no, when I'm good. the one who's on with you at the, at the current know, time, yeah. yeah. It'll, be, it'll be good to hear. I, I, I read a great uh, story this morning online uh, from Mark Craig, a uh, longtime uh, uh, sports journalist up in Minneapolis. And uh, he's also a, a Hall of Fame voter, so I know him from inside the room. Uh, but he called, <laughs> I think he called Minnesota the land of 10,000 missed kicks. Um, but anyway, uh, it'll be it'll be fun to bat that around. Paul, I this occurred to me as I changed what I was writing about in my column at 11:15 Sunday night. Mm. I mean, I was not I had plans to write about a bunch of things that caught my eye, um, 10 different things in, in week two. And I still wrote about several of them in my column, but as that game went down the stretch, the Baltimore-Kansas City game, I just kept thinking, there's like three or four of these games every week. So I look back um, when the game was over, and I look back at the last four games to finish on Sunday in week two, basically games 12 through 15 not including the Monday night game, okay? But games 12 through 15, as they ended, I've got red zone on in my house. I live here in Brooklyn. And I got the red zone on, and I'm watching these games. And in order, they ended 20 to 17, 34 to 33, 33 to 30, and 36 to 35. And I just kept saying to myself, I mean, The NFL cannot buy better publicity for its game than to have all of us sitting on the end of our seat and just waiting, waiting, waiting for the result as all of greater Kansas City and all of the Chiefs kingdom and and everybody who likes the Ravens and, and, and really football fans all over the country. Is there anybody who went to bed and I just... I, I just found it so compelling, the kind of drama that there was in week two. And I mean, even games that aren't the greatest games. How about the Giants in Washington? 30 to 29 with right. the bizarre ending where the Giants defensive tackle, Dexter Lawrence, 
either did or did not. He got flagged for it, but either did or did not jump offside. And at the end of that game, it ends the Giants win 29-27. No, 90 seconds later. That's not true. Washington wins and actually wins 30-29. to It's just there's no drama like it right now in sports. And I think it's also hard to find it on Saturdays, Peter. And I love college football as well, involved with that every weekend. But one of the main differences is you can expect, you can go into Sunday expecting a lot of super close, dramatic games like that. And on Saturday, and there are reasons we love college football as well, it's a little more rare, especially to find the better teams in a tight game like that. So there are a lot of reasons to say the NFL is king. But even when you compare it to wonderful college football, with the drama at the end that we kind of expect these days, it's, it's one more reason it's tough to sit out any Sunday. So Paul, what I thought we might do this week is just do a few quick hits on the teams that uh, we both are very impressed with through a couple of weeks, maybe in a surprising way. And the teams that <clears throat> have started 0-2, uh, let's hit a couple of each, if you don't mind. I, I found myself... And, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you your opinion of each four teams. So let's start it. I'm going to have you hit it first, and then I will give you a few thoughts of mine. I'm curious. The Raiders, 2-0 and after beating the Ravens at home and the Steelers on the road on a short week, which I thought was a great win for the John Gruden program. Give, give me your thoughts on, on what you see in the Raiders. First of all, macro, Peter, and I know every win or loss counts the same, but you can't tell me that it doesn't feel a little different inside that building, beating the Ravens in overtime and going to Pittsburgh and beat the Steelers for a team that is so sick of kind of hanging around in the middle to see if they can take that next step to beat those two teams. Like, first of all, that jumps out. And then I go right to Derek Carr, Peter, and this is a quarterback yeah. who has always had good numbers. If you really study him, you're like, God, there's so much more good than bad. He's a nice quarterback, but he's been stuck in that nice area. And now you have his giant numbers being attached to giant wins. And it's super early in the season, but this is a quarterback. And because he's doing this, his team is doing it as well. Not just gaudy numbers anyway. It's big time plays in really big moments against quality brands in the NFL that are leading to wins. And that's what feels a little different about his performance now as compared to the other years where it's been good, but not great. I, I will, I'll give you my thought on Carr, and then I'll tell you why, in my opinion, this is a really different feeling Raiders team. I think the big thing for Carr is that I thought last year, Paul, the Raiders tried to force Henry Ruggs into a role that maybe he wasn't ready for. Okay, I think Henry Ruggs is not, even though he was drafted the highest of any receiver in the draft, and if you're going to do that, you think he should play 85% of the snaps. He probably is not fit uh, physically. I don't mean in a cardio way, but I just mean his body. He's kind of like Marquise Brown to some degree. Um, he's a little bit better put together. But now, if, if, you, if you look at Henry Ruggs, I'd be happy if I were the Raiders if he played 30 snaps a game, okay? If, if, if he's not going to play 65 snaps a game, that is okay with me. Don't force it. You already have Darren Waller and, and, and to a lesser degree, Foster Moreau at tight end. You've got Brian Edwards, Hunter Renfro, You've got guys who can take that larger role. Use Henry Ruggs intelligently. And I think that's what the Raiders are really starting to do. But in my opinion, I think that the thing that impresses me most about the Raiders is that last year, you really wondered, do they have a front seven that can put enough pressure on quarterbacks without having to blitz a lot? And they have shown me so far that they really, really do. Um, I had a stat from Pro Football Focus in my column this week, basically that the Raiders have brought significant pressure on Lamar Jackson and Ben Roethlisberger on 38% of their pass drops this year. So I, I, 
I'm really interested to see if that can keep up, especially with injuries to, to some guys that they were expecting, you know, good things from like Yannick Ngakwe. So, you know, we'll see, but I think we both feel like the Raiders are going to be in this thing to December. And you know, Paul, I really felt coming into this season that it was going to be the Los Angeles Chargers that might have an outside chance to challenge Kansas City. And I still really like the Chargers, but now I think it could be the Chargers and the Raiders. The ironic part of it, obviously, is that, you know, the, the Kansas City and the Chargers are both one and one, and the Raiders and Broncos are both a surprising two and oh, but but anyway, the one other 2-0 and team that I am really kind of fascinated with is the Carolina Panthers. I just never, I never saw it coming. Um, but I think as I wrote about my column on Monday, you know, the fact that Phil Snow, their defensive coordinator, made some changes this year. And they have an oppressive defensive front in particular. And curious your thoughts about them and about you know, they're, they're, they're suddenly transient quarterback trying to find a home, Sam Darnold. Start with the defense. And uh, first of all, just backing up a little bit, they have, they have all kinds of first round talent and also second round talent on that defense. Over half of their starters were drafted in the first or the second. Now there's a lot of great players who are mid round picks, late round picks, but what that tells me, these are guys with wonderful physical traits and they're finding good homes for them. So it's a very talented defense and what Phil Snow is doing, and I think yesterday was a better example because doing it against Zach Wilson is one thing. But Jameis Winston, say what you will, this is a guy with you know 70 or 80 starts in the NFL. Right. And he was confused. And that's the number one thing, the most underrated part of a defense. I don't care if you bring four, if you bring eight, you want that quarterback to be hesitant at the line of scrimmage, to, be, to have a little bit of wonder, what are they doing? Is the pressure coming from here? Is it from there? Boom. It's on me. And Jameis Winston had that look to him yesterday. So defensively, I love what they're doing there. And an offense, small sample size, Peter, but through two games, we hear this term identity. What's a team's identity going to be on offense? Sam Darnold's numbers and his production the first two games, almost the exact same when you look at the number of times he's throwing. High 60% in the completions, his yards per attempt, almost identical in two games. Christian McCaffrey touching it 29 or 30 times both games. So they're not only winning, it's a team where if you're really following, you can say they have a feeling of who they are. They know what they want to be. They know what that production needs to look like in that system. And I think they're really checking those boxes for identity as well as any team in the league. You know, the one other thing I believe about Carolina that is just really interesting is that Look, Matt Rule comes in. He's only been there now for 18 games. So when he came in from Baylor, I think people really didn't know what to expect. But now that he, you can get a little bit of a read on him, I think he, he lets Phil Snow coach. He lets Joe Brady uh, coach the, the offense. And he is a big program guy. And, and I, I kind of like that about a head coach. If you have confidence in your coordinators, hey, listen, you want to know what they're doing. But it's like, you know, I learned a lot about football from covering the Giants in the 80s. Bill Parcells would let Ron Earhart coach the offense. He would let Bill Belichick coach the defense. Now, he wanted to know what was going on, but he did not lean on them. And, uh, you know, he was not really invasive in their team rooms uh, doing. And I think that's one of the things that, that I like so far uh, about what I've seen out of Matt Rule. Uh, Paul, let's go to a couple of 0-2 teams that, man, I see some bad warning signs. And let's start with the Indianapolis Colts. You know, now that they have Carson Wentz injured uh, with some ankle injury, and we don't know at this moment as we tape this, what, how long exactly he might miss or whether he'll gut it out this week and try to play in week three. But tell me what you've seen out of the Colts. How concerned would you be that they're 0-2 right now? I think the biggest concern to me, and obviously Carson Wentz is a concern with the injury, but if he's healthy, that combo of, of Carson 
and Frank Reich. I think that's going to be fun to watch and, and productive throughout the year. I'm concerned defensively. Uh, you look at these two games, and they played against very good quarterbacks, and Russell Wilson and Matthew Stafford. But their efficiency level, the, the, the way they're completing passes way downfield and not throwing interceptions, that's a real concern. And then one layer uh, below that, or I guess you can say above it, the top one-two receiver combo on both those teams, uh, Seahawks and the Rams. So you have Lockett and Metcalf in Seattle, Woods and Cup. They have been right. just killing that defense. So right. efficient quarterbacks. And if the play caller for either team would just say on Saturday night, you know, if we play well, our top two receivers will, will be over two or 300 yards and our quarterback <laughs> will be super efficient. They're achieving those goals really easily right now against the Colts. Plenty of time to fix it. But right now, that, that has to be a major area of concern, the way the quarterbacks are throwing it downfield and their top weapons are having extremely good games. You know, the other part of the Colts that is bothersome to me is, and I watched a lot of that game on Sunday, Paul, Carson Wentz got abused. Mm. He really got hit a lot. And the offensive line is supposed to be a huge strength of this team. Now, look. There's no shame in getting hit around a lot by the Los Angeles Rams. Right. You know, first of all, you've got a double or triple Aaron Donald. You know that. But it, it, they've got a nice defensive front. Sebastian Joseph Day, nobody has heard of this guy. He makes plays every week. But, but I, I just, I'm worried for the Colts about, you know, their ability to protect and keep a quarterback upright. And Paul, the other one other thing about the Colts I wrote in my column, I'd love to hear your thoughts because as a former player, you would know what this might be like. The Colts have agreed to be the first team ever in the NFL to allow Hard Knocks to document its season. Now, it won't happen for two more months. It's not going to begin until mid-November, but they will have their last nine weeks of the season documented with an NFL films crew. I should say, for those who say, oh my God, the NFL films is going to be swarming everywhere. There will be 13 robotic cameras around their facility. And at first now, only one active camera and cameraman with a couple of producers and NFL films people. So there are going to be many days where the players will, won't even see any presence from NFL films. Having said that, man, the one bit of caution I, I, I think, Paul, is can you imagine the Colts, as we sit here, Owen too, what if they go down the toilet and this is the story of a team that's been a crushing disappointment? So, you know, two months from now, it could really uh, be problematic for the Colts. I enjoyed what you wrote about the, about the uh, Colts agreeing to be part of Hard Knocks in the season for the first time. And Peter, my mind goes right to a conversation I had with Steve Sable, uh, with the late, great, um, one of the, uh, the all-time people, let alone what he did in, in the, the media world for the NFL. But my first three years at NFL Network, Peter, I worked out of NFL film. So I was around Steve a lot. And I remember one conversation I had with him at a lunch where just out of nowhere, he brought up Hard Knocks and its popularity and he said, you know what, uh, the best thing for, for hard, hard Knocks would probably be to have three or four years off from it because it's become so popular and become kind of similar with the training camp. It, it's difficult, and I'm paraphrasing now 15 years later, but difficult to find a new way to tell that exact same story with Hard yeah. Knocks. Mm -hmm. And now, all these years later, I'm, I'm sure Steve would have loved this, the idea of making it new by having that kind of access behind the scenes. I know Steve would have been in love with the idea. And as fans, I mean, put, put the media part aside, just as fans to have that access behind the scenes during the season, I think is really exciting and really fun. And whether they're a poor team that's unraveling or a really good team that's putting the pieces back together, it'll be a great watch. Paul, let's touch on our last team before we hit a bunch of topics around the NFL. The last team I wanted to mention to you is the New York Jets. They're 0-2, which is not a surprise. Losing at Carolina and losing to the Patriots. You know, they're 19 and they're two and nineteen against the Patriots in the last decade. And those two wins, they had to go to overtime to get both of them. So basically, 
the Patriots are their daddies. But here's what bothered me about watching a lot of that game on Sunday. That is that in the 35th minute of the game, Zach Wilson threw his fourth interception of the game. Now, obviously, you think in some ways, over the years, people have said, well, you know, you just don't replace your starting quarterback. Okay, but I mean, why? Why can't you pull the starting quarterback if he's had a bad day? I mean, uh, Vladimir Tradiak or whatever, the, the Russian goalie and Patrick Roy, they've been pulled in games. Uh, Sandy Koufax got relieved by a relief pitcher. And, and I mean, great players get replaced all the time. And I think it's, it's, it is really ridiculous that the New York Jets did not back up um, Zach Wilson this year with a veteran quarterback. Instead, their backup quarterback, they only have one other one on the active roster, is Mike White. And the best thing I can say about Mike White is he is not a household name in his own household. He went to Western Kentucky. He has been in uh, a couple of training camps, the Cowboys and the Jets. Uh, But you know, he's not an experienced player. He's 25 years old. The New York Jets needed to basically invoke the mercy rule on Sunday against the Patriots, pull Zach Wilson out of the game. But can you really do that with a backup quarterback who really is not equipped to play in the NFL right now? And that's Mike White. Yeah, that situation aside, and I think, I mean, that, that's a very good argument to make that after a day like that, give the kid a rest for a series or two and you know, let him sit down. Um, to me, the, the bigger part of that backup quarterback situation, I think is a rookie quarterback that the number one thing you could have, and this is, this parallels a great play caller is a veteran in your room. So when you're in that quarterback meeting room and it's just you and the veteran quarterback that you can put your hair down a little bit and say, holy shit, this is hard, man. I mean, help me out. <laughs> Show me the way. And to have a veteran quarterback there to play that role uh, just intangibly is massive for a rookie quarterback. Look at what Patrick Mahomes got to do in Kansas City. He had Alex Smith, terrific person, really, yeah. really good quarterback, who knew Andy Reid's offense. So Zach has Mike White, who's been waived five or six times, has never played in the NFL. And he has Mike LaFleur, who is an offensive coordinator for the very first time. So, I mean, say what you will about the Jets trot out there in front of them and out wide. Just Monday through Saturday, I I would love for this kid to have better help uh, behind the scenes as he tries to figure this out and get better through a very tough time, as we kind of expected it would be on the field. And, you know, Paul, This is one of the issues, and I always say this to agents, you know, I think one of the smartest agents uh, in recent years, or one of the smartest agencies, were the agents for um, Patrick Mahomes before the 2017 draft. Chris Cabot and Lee Steinberg, I think Cabot, and I, I I don't know this, but I think Cabot is more of the day-to-day hands-on guy, but, but Chris Cabot realized that uh, he was going to try to do everything he can to get Patrick Mahomes to a great team with a great coaching staff. And obviously he can't control where Patrick Mahomes goes. Okay. But he did understand that if there was any way that he could put Patrick Mahomes in a positive view in the eyes of the Kansas City franchise, that was the smart way to go. And I really thought that, I mean, that to me is an agent doing his, his client, uh, you know, a solid, quite honestly, <laughs> where you're looking out for him. And, and look, in the case of a guy like Zach Wilson, it, there was nothing at all that his agent, Brian Aroll, who's a very good agent, there was nothing that Brian Aroll could do. People at the top of the draft fell in love with Zach Wilson and his long-term potential and really smart quarterback people, Chris Sims and, and a lot of other people, Tony Romo, they love Zach Wilson. The problem is 
and this is a huge problem, is that it really doesn't matter as much how great a player you are. I think it matters more where you go. And so, look, Dan Marino never won a Super Bowl, but I bet Dan Marino, looking back, was damn happy that he went 28th overall in the first round, you know, almost four decades ago, instead of going to a top team where he was going to languish and lose and the support around him wasn't great. That's why I think it is so important for Zach Wilson to have his Josh McCown, you know, or his sort of mentor, his Nick Foles. That is so important right now because in my opinion, I just think right now what is around you is as important or more so than how talented you are. And that backup can really provide the example, Peter. I mean, this is the first time any of these kids, no matter what their class load was like later in their career on campus, this is the first time where they can wake up in the morning and eight to eight, go to, go to work. This is your job. And it's one thing to have a work ethic, which, which I'm sure they all do. It's another to have an example of how to work smart. This is yeah. what you need to do with this time of the right. day. Okay, you've yeah. got three hours between now and lunch. Get in this part of the plan. And without that example there, and your coach ought to be able to do that, but the coach is doing other things too. The right kind of backup quarterback can show the way that way. And I would hope that the Jets at some point along the way will provide that. Yeah. Uh, you know, Paul, in our remaining time, let's do quick hits around the NFL and uh, let's just go back and forth a bit on some of the issues of the day. One is there's tremendous angst now over the NFL's new emphasis on penalizing taunting. Um, it's gotten to the point where if a guy gets up and he spins the football when he gets up, that has gotten two flags so far in the first two weeks of the year. I think it's gone way overboard. Give me your thoughts. I love the idea of it, and I'll come at it from the uh, point of view with kids who are interested in football in my house, both of my sons. I mean, like any other kid, they're going to watch it. And when, when the celebration goes over the line and is showing up the opponent, I hate that because I see it on the flag football teams I coach. The kids think they think it's okay to do that. However, the area needs to, it needs to be more clear about what's a penalty. Just someone excited who spins the ball, that's not in the spirit of, hey, that should be flagged. That's setting a bad example. That's showing yeah. the opponent up. I don't like that. I do like the idea of trying to cut out the celebrations that really are in the face of an opponent. But I, clearly, from what we're seeing right now, that hasn't quite been figured out. Yeah. I, I think the thing I object to most notably is that, you know, at the end of the Ravens game, there was such pure joy and jumping up and down and, and uh, Lamar Jackson and, and Sammy Watkins at one point were just unbridled joy. And, and, and I think people around the NFL on the competition committee who passed this, this emphasis of the rule, they think, okay, that's fine, but you can't go beyond that. Well, sometimes you just do. Sometimes you spin the ball and you, you let go let's go, gotcha, whatever, whatever it is. It just is a, it, it bothers me that the real enthusiasm um, is being removed from the game or, or like we're attempting to remove it from the game. Let's get also this other thing, just it's not a big deal, Paul. It really isn't. And I understand why the Jacksonville Jaguars would want to say, hey, listen, don't worry about it. We're going to be fine. But they issued a statement Sunday night, basically after starting 0-2 and not looking good doing it at all. Um, they issued a statement that said, hey, we're staying the course. We're going to be good. Don't worry. Be patient with us. And I just thought, man, that it, it struck me as the organization and Urban Meyer having some rabbit ears. I don't know. What did you think? I think it's something that, that this is where you stick to the cliches. Hey, we have a plan, plan hard. We're coaching hard. We're going to get better. And you just go back to work. Anything that publicly calls attention to you feel bad about the effort or you feel bad about the production is just going to make more people in that community think about that part of it 
and talk about it. So I, I would I would say just try and blow past it and move on and think about the next Sunday as opposed to letting everybody know that you feel bad about the effort, which probably creates even more angst amongst those fans from what they've seen. Yeah, yeah. Paul, I want to end with this. Um, I, I found in sort of watching the first two weeks of the season that football is changing, pro football especially is changing before our very eyes. And by that, I mean, you know, the NFL is on the way this year. And again, it's early. Who knows what happens when the weather gets bad and all that. But uh, the NFL is now a pace to have the most pass attempts collectively in a game, you know, with the two teams in NFL history. And right now it's not even close. It's there's several passes ahead of the all pass attempts ahead of the all time record. And I just find it interesting that that some teams like Baltimore, for instance, who have a running quarterback, they're still going to run. But the vast majority of teams are basically saying, listen, we give up all pretense of being a balanced (laughs) team. We're not going to be a balanced team. We're going to throw the ball 65% of the time, 70% of the time, every week. I, I'm not sure what I feel about that. I understand that it is the progressive way of trying to win football games, and that's all that matters. But I just think that the running game is kind of quietly but rapidly being almost phased out of football. Yeah, and uh, I'll back up to one of the teams that we've talked about in, in, a, in a nice way already, and that is the Las Vegas Raiders and the way they're winning, Peter. I mean, they're more than two to one pass to run right now, and we're all so excited about how they've looked doing it and the points they're putting up. People aren't really raising their hand the way they would have a few years ago and say, yeah, but they can't run the ball. Right, it's not right, really right. brought up much. And then you look even closer at what they're doing Teams are figuring out how to beat these super aggressive defenses. We've said for a while to pass first league, we know that receivers have an advantage against DBs because DBs can't put their hands on them. But now the next level of that, offensive coordinators are figuring out how to block these defenses that are super aggressive and super confusing. That's one. And they are so spreading out the, the weapons and how they use them. The Raiders, they had four different players, Peter, with five catches. They had a a traditional wide receiver. They had a slot receiver. They had a tight end. They had a running back. All catch five passes. So they're figuring out the protection, and they are really spreading out the ways to hit people around the field. And why not throw it more? Yeah, very interesting. Paul Burmeister, it's been really fun this week, as usual. Um, I'll be on the road a little bit this week. Uh, and I'll, I'll let you know, and we'll, we'll talk a little bit about my findings on a little story I'm doing for NBC's Football Night in America show. We'll have a good conversation about it next week, as well as the bizarro world that continues to be the National Football League. Thanks so much for joining me. Very good. Good luck with the second best, Paul. Back on the podcast, and my thanks to Paul Burmeister, as usual for keeping me on track with all the events in the National Football League in week two and looking ahead to week three. But now I wanna go to a good friend of mine from the Twin Cities in Minneapolis, St. Paul, uh, Paul Allen, who does the Minnesota Vikings games on the radio. And last night, or maybe, no, it was a couple of nights ago, obviously, after the game where the Minnesota Vikings basically missed a, a, a kind of a gimme, just a little bit longer field goal than an extra point would be, Greg Joseph. And Paul Allen had one of the great angsty calls that I've ever heard in radio. And at first, because it was so close, Paul Allen thought it was in. And Paul, I don't want you to be too upset about this, but no. we are going to play the call. That's and, right. and because... In my opinion, it encapsulates everything. And one of the reasons I really like you as a play-by-play guy is because you're almost in many ways the way Myron Cope used to be in Pittsburgh. 
Mm. He will call a spade a spade. However, he will also be absolutely joyous when his team wins. And I found this out about you in the 2009 NFC Championship game. Brett Favre goes back to pass. He pumps. Now he fires over the middle. Intercepted. I can't believe what I'm seeing right now. It was intercepted by Tracy Porter. Near side to the 40. And John Sullivan runs him down at the 47-yard line. You've got to be kidding me. I can't believe what I just saw. Why do you even ponder passing? I mean, you can take a knee and try a 56-yard field goal. This is not Detroit, man. This is the Super Bowl. When you basically called out Brett Favre and say, what in the world are you doing throwing across your body and throwing that horrible interception? Then, And as you well know, a, a few years later, Sage Rosenfelds writes a column for the MMQB, which is my website. And Sage Rosenfelds at that moment heard Brett Favre come to the sidelines and says, Sage, I choked. I choked. And, you know, but you didn't, you didn't hide that at all. You basically came up. So I love the fact that you were very angsty on your call. And I want you to take me up into the booth and tell me what it was like making that call and then realizing that, you know, you, you just, you made an error on this call. High snap, put down. Joseph, come on! It is gone! No, he it's missed no it. Good. Are you kidding me? He missed it right. He missed it right. Oh, Are my heavens. Oh. Oh, my. This. He missed it right. What a gut punch to a team. Paul, that play after play toward the end fought its way back. Oh. Missed it by like a foot and just, oh my God. Well, the it was a 37-yard field goal by a kicker in the land of misfit kickers. That includes <laughs> so many for so many years where Greg had made a 53-yard field goal to send it in overtime at Cincinnati and had made two 52-yarders that day at State Farm Stadium. So, you know, the the what I did here and... And I said, basically, the kick is good. Oh, he missed it. He missed it right. Oh, my heavens. And so I messed it up. I completely botched it. Um, now, here, here's the mistake that I made. And, you know, I'm so particular with the way the game calls go and being the quarterback in that booth and a quarterback who wants to distribute the ball to the spotter and the statistician and the analyst and the sideline guy and, and Pat technical guy on the back for the balance and everything. That's the kind of QB I want to be. Um, I am actually not want to be, I am. So there, there are moments where I will say to somebody like the statistician or the spotter, if you don't know what the number is, don't guess because that messes me up when I share it in the call. Well, I guessed. And honestly, I guessed for the first time in my 20-year career calling Minnesota Vikings football. I guessed. And, and I normally wait for the ref to do this or do this and watch it. And I don't care if it takes too long. I'm going to be accurate. I was so certain that he made that effing kick. And I'm not even, even going to be like the, the end zone's here and we're way up here. No, 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 no. Because I've called games there. And, and I've had bad angles before, um, but I just guessed. And I went out of body and I guessed. And that's the end of the story. And I messed it up. And, you know, it's, it's, I'm, getting, I'm getting some praise today online from like local newspapers and some other people being like Paul Allen owned his mistake. He owned that major gaffe. Why do I need to be praised for that? I mean, when you receive effusive praise, like you said, and some other calls for 20 years, and for the first time in 20 years, this happens, and I'm going to hide behind it? Are you kidding me? Zero chance, I guessed, and I blew it. So in that particular case, can you tell me what goes through a play-by-play -play announcer's mind at that precise moment? Does your stomach drop? No, no, not really, because it's, it's truly, Peter, it's not about me, it's about the game. Okay, so in this pot shot age of rage, 
specifically with social media. You know, it's when somebody who does what I do or does what you do has a master bleep up, like, I don't know, putting something on Twitter that shouldn't be on Twitter and it was an accident or messes up a game winning <laughs> call. Yeah, and, and, and okay, that's part of the job. Just like, you know, this is not Detroit, man. It's the Super Bowl or, or Minneapolis Miracle. I don't, I don't script this stuff and you know that. I mean, it, it's God gifted me in a way where what comes out comes out. And right after, um, I just felt so bad that we lost two consecutive. I like Mike Zimmer a lot. I love this team. And we're in two. And, and, you know, we play. And it feels like it feels in some ways. That's one of the reasons I really wanted to have you on. I think it's, and look, Bill Parcells always used to have a saying, you are what you are. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's no, you're owing two. You got to own it. Say it a million times. However, however. The Minnesota Vikings are going to be, in my opinion, a pretty good team. And they, they're not going to be, they're going to be, I don't know, nine and eight, 10 and seven. I don't know. I, I think they're going to be pretty good because they're explosive. Yep. And because in my opinion, look, all I can say about yesterday is, or, or but Sunday, excuse me. All I can say about Sunday's game is Kyler Murray's going to do that to a lot of people this year. Yeah, you see, he just is. and I was so wrapped up in the game because I like Kyler, okay, but but I think we need to slow down a little bit on where he is compared yeah. to where the greats are in the history of the game. With all due respect, I like Kyler a lot. Don't get me wrong here. He threw a pass yesterday or Sunday. Zimmer, I mean, this is how brilliant Zimmer is. And we're giving, we gave up 474 yards and a million points. And we gave up a million points the week before. And we had a lot of trouble defensively at Cincinnati. But Mike called a play late in that game that he had not used since 2019. And it involves potential Hall of Fame safety Harrison Smith coming through the A-gap where he never blitzes. And right. he got through. He got through and he's going to crush Kyler. And from Kyler's back foot, he just throws up this Billy Kilmer duck. But we had a corner who lost Christian Kirk and it was a major play. So uh, things like that were frustrating me. And, um, you know, just just to put a dagger, copyright Wayne Larrabee, into into everything we're talking about, about that botch call is, is, and, and I'm sure you're like this too, because I'm sure people take shots of you in the age of rage on social media. Uh, I, I faced a lot of them last night and this morning. It's the uninformed and it's the truly dumb ones that they just, they just like mosquitoes. They just get me a little bit, but I never respond. So getting past that is very easy. At the end of the equation, I mean, I've had local TV stations here in the Twin Cities be like, can we bring a camera by the station and talk about this call? I'm like, what? No. I mean, that's where we're not making this whole thing about me. I effed up a call. Okay. I mean, yeah, yeah, I really, yeah. really got to talk in a way where I need to defend myself professionally, which I don't want to do. Yeah. But if I'm going to mess up a call like that once every 20 years, I'm pretty cool with that. Yes, uh, yeah. But I love these players. I love these coaches. I love the Kubiaks, Clint Kubiak, our new offensive coordinator. I want them to win so badly that yeah. when I made that mistake and, and messed up that call at the end of the game, it didn't really hit me till we were flying home that, man, what the hell am I doing guessing? I just never guess. And so that was the end of that. Now we play, we played like crap for large patches of game at Cincinnati. We're in overtime. We're going to win the game and Dalvin drops it. And, and we're going to win the game yet uh, Sunday with Joseph from 37 yards. What, but what an unbelievable game. I mean, now that was unbelievable football game where I wanted to like, if the players could see me despite the effed up call and despite my favorite team losing, I wanted to go, thank you. Thank you for that entertainment. I mean, yeah, yeah. Matt Prater from 62 in front of halftime. Are you kidding me? But, but yeah. just in closing it with Kyler, he had 10 rushing touchdowns last year, the first 10 games of the year. Then he played Pete Carroll's team and he took a bad hit, legal hit, but a bad, bad hit. And he hurt his shoulder. Yeah. He had one rushing touchdown the rest of the year. He's slight of frame and he's 5'10". And, and I, you know, running is a major part of his game and he's phenomenal. But at 5'10", yeah. slight of frame, if you're going to put those hits on him like I've seen, you're going to shorten his career, mark my words. Hey, Paul, you know, 
Um, I, I thought last night, I'm sure you were in the air or in transit, but at the end of the uh, Sunday night, I keep saying last night, Sunday night, I thought at the end of the Baltimore-Kansas City game that obviously ended in a scintillating fashion, exactly like the, uh, the game you were at. Baltimore wins 36 to 35 in just, uh, you know, it's an absolute total video postcard for why people love the NFL. Okay. And at the end of the game, Chris Collinsworth said, and I quote, our announcers allowed to clap. I would like to clap for that one. Wow. I feel, I feel exactly the same way. Okay. Because at the end of that game, I think a lot of times we get so caught up in bitching and moaning about different parts of football, about all this taunting penalty. It's a travesty, you know, and you get so angry about it that you say, okay, wait a minute. Let's, let's just think about the game we just saw. Yeah, we can be ticked off about that, but let's think about it. And at the end of that game, so many things just hit me at the end of the Baltimore, Kansas City game. So many things just hit me because you watch Lamar Jackson and Sammy Watkins with their helmets off, jumping and pirouetting on the field like ballerinas with their mouths wide open in pure, unbridled joy. Yeah. And then you watch the Kansas City players on the ground, face buried in the turf after the fumble by Clyde Edwards Hilaire. And you basically say, man, there is, it's just like the ABC Wide World of Sports, the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat. And there's one other little point about that game that, that I just love about football. I just love it. Okay, the guy who made the play, Odafe Owe, okay, a guy from Penn State, yeah. a pass rusher. He didn't have a great college career. Uh, and a lot of people thought that the Ravens reached when they took him. Yeah. They took him with the 31st pick of the first round. And he makes the play where he punches the ball out from Clyde Edwards Hilaire with 90 seconds to go. Ravens recover, they get the fourth and one that they make and they run out the clock and they win the game. But the thing that I loved about this, I got away on the phone after the game and I could tell right away that he was emotional and he had been very affected by what had happened in the last 45 minutes. And, you know, he's a Nigerian kid who basically just started playing football five years ago. Wow. And now at the end of this game, he has people who've been in this game for 30, 40 years, hugging him and saying, you saved the game. Wow. And he says to me, he goes, this moment will be burned into my brain for the rest of my life. Wow. And I just say to myself, where else are you getting that other than the NFL? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but see, you, so there, there has to be a certain level of vulnerability with yeah. the individual. And, you know, like me sharing with you what I shared and what Chris Collinsworth said last night, which I missed because I was in the air, where not everybody is willing, specifically men, to be that vulnerable. And, you know, wherever we are in the pandemic, but from when the pandemic started through social unrest, which is I'm in the belly of the beast in this city with George Floyd. Um, right. And that's why I call it the age of rage. I mean, it's, it's people just, they look for something, ah, and then it's, they're just, they're, they're just going to kill you. And, and that feels good to them. So it's fair to, to recognize it and navigate your way through it respectfully. But, you know, because the, the botched call in our game, yeah, that we joked about it today on my radio show and, and that's it. The, it's not about me. The game is not about me. The Minneapolis miracle God bless you, because when you said you called the kid right after the game, it made me think because of how good you are and how well-respected you are. I mean, eight minutes after the game in the, with the Minneapolis Miracle, which I coined, that my phone's ringing. There's you. Of course, I'm going to take it. And all you said was, what'd you say? <laughs> and, 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 and I'm like, what do you mean? The final play, what'd you say? 
And then we talked about <laughs> it. That's exactly how that, that story yeah. with Penn State Kid sort of reminded me. But, yeah. you know, Kirk Cousins, I love Kirk Cousins. I'm a person yeah. of faith. And uh, Kirk and I have done faith-based speaking engagements ever since he arrived here. And he's one of the smartest football players I've ever met in my life, whether it's knowing, you know, going to numbers, Deuteronomy, Kings, or John, right, or right. diagnosing a defense. And I really pulled for Kirk. And because, you know, he had the audacity to become the first in the history of the NFL to take a three-year guaranteed deal at about 30 each year, um, to whom much is given, much is expected, no doubt. And right. he hasn't been great every step of the way. I'm telling you right now, Sunday, was the best game Kirk Cousins has ever had wearing our colors. He wow. now is sliding in the pocket where he didn't for the first part of his run here. He outran Kyler Murray. He had more rushing yards than Kyler Murray. I mean, that's 15 to one on a prop bet somewhere. And you can tell Kirk, because Kirk's not going to brag ever. So, But you can tell Kirk has paid attention to the elevator music and the noise that's come in with those saying he's incapable of improvising. Our mutual friend, Mike Florio, profootballtalk.com, just kills Kirk for yeah. lack of improvisation. Well, Kirk's improvising and Kirk's sliding and Kirk has become slithery and he's already dead accurate with a wonderful arm and he's super smart. I, I said it on my radio show this week and I'm sticking by it. And if I'm wrong, I'll, I'll take the slings and arrows of the outrageous negatives. Right. His contract's up at the end of next year and he does make a lot of money. I think that Kirk would be willing to redo at the end of the second year of this deal, 2022, to a more team-friendly deal. But Vikings fans better be careful if, if they want to push him out of town and think that yeah. Kellen Mond, who we drafted. Or whoever, yeah. Whoever is just going to roll in and give you what you're having because it's getting better. And it got better last year. What I saw yesterday from Kirk against a good, not great defense, but very fast, and they did great work on Chandler Jones, wonderful work on J.J. Watt and Isaiah Simmons and Buda Baker. I mean, just four phenomenal players, by the way. Um, but what I'm seeing from Kirk is you're going to want him to be your quarterback the next six or seven years here. But we're on to something with Kirk. It took a while. But, um, man, I just really wish for nothing but the best for Kirk Cousins. I want to ask you just two other quick things. One is that what was so interesting to me after – in the wake of this game, you know, all politics are local and all sports fans are local. And maybe I just forget about this. It seems like every fan base has five, six, eight kicks they remember that were missed that cost them dearly. But Mark Craig, friend of mine, Hall of Fame voter of the Star Tribune, had a column in the paper on Monday, which said, in essence, land of 10,000 missed kicks. Yep. That's how it feels for Vikings. Yeah. So, Paul, you're there. Is that how it feels? Well, it's you have Blair Walsh after the 2015 season. Right. I had dinner with offensive coordinator North Turner two nights before that game at Wildfire Steakhouse in Eden Prairie. And Nor basically laid out to me, when you go after this defense – what do you want to do? Challenge Michael Bennett? You want to go at Earl Thomas? You want to go at Richard Sherman? Um, no, no, no. Okay, well, we got Deshaun Shedd over here, and he's having a tough time of it. Yeah. But they know he's having a tough time of it, so they cover him up. So where do you go? Bobby Wagner, K.J. Wright? So Norv laid this out so beautifully, and then he, then he basically said, Cam Chancellor just came back from a long injury like two or three weeks ago. And that's what he had in his back pocket the entire game. I waited for it the entire call. And he went at Cam with Kyle Rudolph two or three times, Teddy did, and we went right down the field. There it is. Everything Norv said, and all we got to do is hit a 27-yarder at this college stadium with minimal wind, but it's super cold. Yeah. And here we go. We're going to Arizona, second round of the playoffs. And Walsh missed it. So yeah. it's – but see, it's the way the kickers have cycled in here. You know, like last last uh, two years ago, we traded a fifth for Corey Vedvik with the Baltimore Ravens, and he didn't make the team. You know, we were so desperate, and we had and and then um, and uh, the uh, Dan Bailey, the uh, the Cowboys kicker, 86 percent immortality, gets here, terrible, and then he's gone. 
And then it goes back to Gary Anderson in 98. And, I mean, all the names, Peter, Aaron Elling, Paul Edinger, Kai Forbath, Blair Walsh, uh, Corey Vedvik, Dan Bailey, Riley Patterson, Greg Joseph. I mean, Justin Tucker and Adam Vinatieri, they look at this and they're like, I always love that one. Are you kidding me with this whole thing? Mason Crosby, where we face him twice a year. Jason Hansen for like 20 years when we would face him. So it's just, we just can't hone in on it. And that's what seems to frustrate the fans the most. There have been big missed kicks, but I think it's just the fluctuation of, of the kicker situation and not being able to hone in on one. The amazing thing about Kari Vedvik, which is really one of the weirdest stories in recent NFL lore. And people will say, who the hell's Kari Vedvik? Well, Kari Vedvik in 2019 was the hottest kicker in the preseason. And quite honestly, there's really no difference in making a field goal in a preseason game versus a regular season game. And people will say, well, of course there is. No, there isn't. Because for Kari Vedvik, this is job interview. Okay. If he misses, he's going to go sell cars in Tulsa. But Kari Vedvik was had one of the best preseasons yep. that a kicker has had. And so the Vikings trade for him and they trade a five. Yep. And, you know, Eric DaCosta, the GM of the Ravens, I remember talking to him about this once and he felt sick for Vedvik. He really did. You know, he loved Vedvik. He just couldn't believe it. But when he got to Minnesota, mm. could, couldn't make a kick. But, but hey, take it a step farther here. You know, we made him, with all due respect to two people I, I adore, Rick Spielman, our general manager, Mike Zimmer, our head coach. I mean, I just, yeah. I just love those guys. We, we, in 2019, second game of the year, we're at Lambeau, rookie from Auburn, Daniel Carlson, who we draft, he misses three kicks. We tie the Packers when we outplayed him. He gets cut that week. Well, yeah, look at him now with Oakland slash Las Vegas Raiders. So there are things like that, too, that really irk the fan base. And, um, you know, this Greg Joseph, man, I mean, what a strong leg. He, he had a walk-off mm -hmm. winner for Tennessee, um, and he missed some in the preseason, right, and he missed the one at Arizona, right. But you, you, you're right about the kicking and the auditioning. Cold-blooded from 53 at Cincy, we go to overtime. A couple from 52 at Arizona, and then he misses from 37. It's cliche as it may be, Peter, and we try to avoid cliches, but they're called cliches for a reason because they stand the test of time in terms of accuracy. When it comes to kickers and confidence, yeah, if they lose their confidence, you might be in a lot of trouble for the rest of the year. Yeah. I, I'm not, I've just seen it. I've just, I mean, Blair Walsh missed that kick, the prevailing against Seattle in the playoffs, the prevailing emotion in the locker room was wow each of us just got cost 50 grand in playoff money that we would have gotten by going to play arizona they were mad it was vitriol and blair never bounced back never got back into the league it's a super sad story 2012 he's a rookie out of georgia peter 10 of 10 from 50 plus nfl record so the the mental piece with the kickers we can joke around with it and say kickers are weird they're different whatever you lose a kicker mentally it's all over. Um, last thing. So give me your thought on the fate of this year's Minnesota Vikings. People who love the Vikings and who will listen to this know that you'll shoot them straight. Tell me what will the end game be with these Vikings? I thought they would win 11 games into the season. Um, I felt it was non-negotiable, Peter, to lose at Cincinnati. And I know they're better. And they played the Bears tough, too, recently. They are better. I've seen it. Uh, Larry Ogunjobi, what a wonderful free agent signing that was. Uh, but still, we played like crap. And we're going to win the game in overtime if we don't fumble. Um, that Arizona team might have a little house of cards to it. We'll see. But we had a great chance to win that game. We're, we're as good as almost any team in the NFL when it becomes cohesive. Um, so now a massive, massive game against Seattle. Russell Wilson is 7-0 against us. And, and Mike has done a good job against Russell every single game. You ain't going to see no 375-4-0, Russell mm -hmm. against Mike. Um, you have to win this game. If you lose this game, it has the potential to spiral, and here's why. 
because game number four are a week from Sunday, the Cleveland Browns come to town. Now they're coached by Kevin Stefanski are probably my best friend I've ever had in football. He was here 15 years. Um, Kevin, you know, is, is even killed Kevin and he's wonderful at what he does. He's going to come in here looking to ruin your season. That's it. That's just how they operate and they're good. So you better get this one, man, because that Cleveland game ain't no freebie. And then after that, you got yeah. Matt Rule's team, and they're winning games. Uh, we we have to win two of the next three, preferably three of the next three. I, I don't know what to say with where we're going to go. I just know Cousins has never played better. Cook is unbelievable. Jefferson's unbelievable. They can't cover Adam Thielen, even at this stage of his career. This second-year hurricane, K.J. Osborne, from the greatest wide receiver draft in the history of the NFL. Couldn't find him with a searchlight last year. Now you can't cover him. So the offense and with the defense with Pierce, Tomlinson, Kendricks need to get bar back. Peterson played a hell of a game against uh, not only his former team, but DeAndre Hopkins Sunday. And, um, you know, Harrison Smith with all that, Peter, we're good, man. We're good. But we can't get into these 12 penalties against Cincinnati and missed kick against Arizona. That, that bull crap has to stop. And when it does, we're going to win about five, six, seven in a row. And I still think we're going to make the playoffs, believe it or not. Yeah. Um, I, before we leave, I want to ask you about a guy who I've really enjoyed covering and get, <clears throat> getting to know a little bit over the years. And that's Patrick Peterson. He lost 10 pounds, signed with the Vikings, uh, was so uh, exhilarated when I saw him at training camp in Egan, Minnesota. Give me your early view on Patrick Peterson. Um, he's a class act. Um, he speaks his mind. He has the black and white gene. Sometimes people take it differently. Like there was a story in the Arizona Republic up to our game where I felt they were kind of manufacturing the reason fans should boo Patrick, where he didn't mention the GM by name, but kind of said something that a conclusion was drawn. And, you know, you've done this longer than I, I have. So you've seen it a million times. Patrick Peterson had the audacity to be quoted, Peter, saying when the schedule came out, I circled this game on the schedule against my former team. Oh, that, that's trash talking galore, right? I mean, holy cow, we haven't heard that but 10 million times. So he was very excited to go back there, played a heck of a game, got beat on a touchdown. Uh, he just got beat. He got lost on Hopkins back left of the end zone, and, and it, it happened early in the game. But you know what? After that, because he was on DeAndre the whole game, DeAndre didn't have a catch for the final 54 and a half minutes of the game. Patrick gets credit for that too. And it, the, the one, the lasting impression that I had with Patrick was the galvanizing effect he had on this team at Arizona, where we may lose, but we ain't going to embarrass ourselves out here. And we're not going to embarrass that guy because he's a Hall of Famer yeah. and they're booing him. When he ran out of the tunnel and he was the first out, oh my heavens, that took my breath away. They're booing the hell out of him. Or as you would write, booing lustily. Just doesn't just doesn't make any sense. Right. I mean, I, that's what I don't like. It's like, yeah. hey, I, I, hey, listen, in, in week four, let me ask you this, Paul. In week four, what will happen when Tom Brady comes out of the tunnel in Foxborough with oh. the Tampa Bay Buccaneers? Cheer Standing or boo? Ovation. Standing ovation. Okay. Standing ovation. And 09. I hope so. 09, when we went to Lambeau with Favre, we yeah. thought about it all week. And 80% of it was standing ovation. Yeah, the rest of it was who cares? Because that's yeah. how it has to be. Patrick never got a standing ovation. He galvanized that defense, and they played their asses off. There were blown coverages, but they played their asses off for him, man. And old schoolers like you and I, you know, we look for the nuance and, and the human interest angle in it because it hits the heart. And that's what I saw with those guys for Patrick Sunday. Yeah. Very interesting. Paul Allen, you've been so gracious with your time. I thought it was going to be 12 to 15 minutes and it was a half hour. Ah. You, were, you were a mensch and I really, really appreciate it. Thank you. Well, I don't know what a mensch is, but I'm going to thank you. So in <laughs> Good return, dude. Good in return, dude. I'm going to say you're a connoisseur of fine Manischewitz. And, um, <laughs> I, and, and I'm, I do have to run now because... I got to put my phone number on Twitter real quick so I can get everybody tripping <laughs> me so I can actually talk to them like mouth to mouth. All right. Paul Allen. Thanks so much. Bye Peter.
my thanks to Paul Allen. What a guy. It's fun. I just, I said, okay, we'll do 15 minutes. And then it's a half hour later. And I'm saying, I could do another half hour. He's just such an interesting and uh, not, not just about Viking stuff, but about, about uh, a lot of things. But anyway, my thanks to him. And, and look, I, I can't thank Paul Burmeister enough. Uh, he's really, really improved and focused me um, in the podcast in the last few months. And we started toward the end of last season too. And uh, I just want to thank him as well. And listen, thanks to you for listening. And it was a heck of a week too. And all I can say is, man, I don't know if my heart can take many more endings uh, the way those last four or five games were on Sunday. But um, it was so much fun this week in the National Football League. And we will look forward to dissecting week three and looking forward to the game of this year and many years. Tampa Bay at New England in week four on the Peter King Podcast next week.